0: It's time to put down the hammer in this week's episode of the Nerd Byword podcast as Chris and I review Thor Love and Thunder. Nerds, welcome back to a new episode of the Nerd Byword podcast, where we definitely are worthy. It is uh, time in this week's episode to review Thor: Love and Thunder. Was the movie a big hit or a ginormous flop or something in between? We will discuss in this week's Byword Big Talk. But first, as always, it is time for nerd news. Now, Chris. Uh, This is a really, really wild news story. I can't wait to hear your take on this.
1: So Vince McMahon, the brains behind World Wrestling Entertainment, um, who came under supreme prominence during the Attitude Era, of which we were both huge fans uh, during the time in our our formative years, and we did an entire episode on it, check the backlog, um, has reportedly going to, is reportedly going to retire from the company and stepped down from his role. Now, this is not an altruistic motive. Uh, Don't get it twisted. Much like his tangerine-tinted colleague of the past, recent reports have detailed that McMahon is in a scandal of sorts, including payoffs for hush monies to cover up alleged affairs with former employees, uh, including a secret $3 million settlement Um, to one employee in particular and then the wall street journal released further news that more than 12 million dollars had been paid to four different women uh, with allegations of sexual misconduct and infidelity um the company will now be uh, reportedly handled by mcmahon's daughter stephanie mcmahon and president nick khan who will serve as co-ceos um Time time remains to be seen if McMahon truly can step down and keep his hands off uh, of the company and you know, seed control, even to you know his own daughter. Because when these reports first surface, the control maniac that he is, he promptly showed up uh, for a live you know appearance on Friday Night SmackDown. um, that's kind of, it's really interesting because we did a recent uh, episode on separating art from artist and the reason that the Attitude Era, one, one of the primary reasons that the Attitude Era was so successful was his in-ring persona, on-camera persona of Mr. McMahon and this villainous CEO, which should come to no surprise to anyone even remotely close to the situation that there's more truth in that persona than, you know, than anything. So it's interesting because he's such a vile individual, but then, you know, created this thing that has been so rampantly successful. And even with the advent of AEW and the popularity of that new uh, competitor like wwe still has streaming uh agreements that make it much more easier to view like if you're a cable cutter it's next to impossible to watch aew um so time will tell um what is going to happen with this but at 77 years old can he actually step away from the control
0: i i sure got as I sure to god hope so um this is a you know wild story. As you mentioned, we're both big fans of the Attitude Era. But I'm also going to um I'm I'm also gonna have to say that I'm not a huge fan of where the company has gone. And and to me, they'll always be WWF, even if they have a problem with the World Wildlife Fund. Um but uh where where the product has gone over the years since the Attitude Era concluded, um is is obviously not one of my favorite things. Um and so you know, this PG era that they created, um, the way they pace matches, the way they pace entrances now, the where, where they place commercials. I think, I think there's been a series of incredibly poor choices made behind the scenes, and that goes straight to the top to, to Vince McMahon. So even disregarding all these scandals that he's tied up in, uh, he needs to go, man. Uh, some some new people need to be in charge of this company that are willing to take some risks and innovate. Um, he has made questionable choices, even going all the way back to the Attitude Era. Uh, thankfully, there were more hits than misses during that time. But as he has aged uh, or his business notions have changed, I don't know, um, we're seeing you know more and more misses and less and less hits. I can't really remember the last time uh, that the product that WWE has put out was really captivating. And that is, that is a problem, man. So yeah, I hope he steps down. I I think 77 is, he's probably overstayed his welcome. And I think creatively, at least he's kind of run his, his company into the ground at this point. Um, So, you know, him stepping back can only be a good thing for WWE. We need some people at the top that understand the product a little more that are willing to take some more risks. I read an article recently that uh, they're re they're, putting a new rating on on raw and smackdown they're going to to a tv14 rating and it's been tvpg for a long time maybe that is a sign of things to come that they're maybe willing to push the envelope a little bit more again to try to you know get eyeballs on because the product has become extremely boring and i say this is a ginormous fan uh, of the attitude era and a ginormous fan of professional wrestling um they lost me years ago and they've never done anything to get me back. I mean, how often do I need to see, you know, Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair get back in the ring? You know, do do some interesting stories, push some interesting wrestlers, try some new things, experiment a little bit. Um, the current air is just very sad in a lot of ways for the company. And I would love to get interested in, in World Wrestling Entertainment again. Um, and hopefully Vince being gone is a step in the right direction.
1: Yeah, for me, it's, it's like the double-edged sword of his management style and the trickle-down effect of that. Because um, they've, I think the reason that the Attitude Era was successful when you boil it down was the larger-than-life characters. You have The Rock, you have Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, the, the first two that come to mind, you have uh, Sable, you have, I mean, like, even people like Val Venus, he's, he's a freaking porn star. I mean, like, come on. Uh, you know, we talked about this, Al Snow, that, like, whose best friend was a mannequin head. Like, that's just freaking ridiculous. The Godfather, you know, like, and what has happened as I've peripherally followed it over the past few years is you have these once in a blue moon type talents and they snuff them out. You have characters like Braun Strowman, who they terminated the contract of and went to the competitor, if if memory serves correctly. And then the most, the most recent one that has really infuriated me. um, The reason that I came back to watching WWE a few months ago was Sasha Banks. I think she has that charisma, Mercedes Bernardo, uh, her, her real name she has that charisma that star power that immediately drew me in and then you have the debacle of her and her tag team partner walking out of monday night raw because they were not done any service as the tag team champions and now they've been suspended indefinitely the wwe refuses to let her appear at any conventions under her stage name any of that and so like being that much of a control freak um, you know, and, and whatever the extension of that is company wide, you have these characters that could help you thrive and evolve into the future. And you're completely snuffing out those sparks. And it's wild to me. You know, like I said, if there was any way for me to regularly be able to watch AEW, which for from everything that I've seen via social media clips and everything is everything that I want the WWE to be. It's just, I can't find a way to regularly watch AEW content because they don't have a streaming package, which is wild with Turner behind them. Um, Maybe HBO Max can pull some strings over the next year or so, but I mean, I mean, they got Jim Ross over to AEW and like, what more do you want from that? Um, And so it's really frustrating because I want to get back into pro wrestling. Look at my nerd commendation coming up in a few minutes, but I mean, it's just extremely frustrating. And so hopefully this is a telltale sign of things to come that they can, you know, find that magic again.
0: So what you're saying is enough is enough and it's time for a change.
1: Oh, sorry. (coughs) (laughs) All right, Dave. Uh, We have a triumphant return for your news story this week.
0: Yeah, so I, I think we're going to have to have a whole episode just to talk about some of the stuff coming out of San Diego Comic-Con, but I just grabbed what I felt was probably the biggest story, because it's probably the one that's got me most excited, and that is that there was an announcement that we're getting a new Daredevil series, that Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio are both going to be back for it. Uh, the title for it is uh, Daredevil uh, Born Again, uh, and... As we just discussed a couple of weeks ago, how it is absolutely ridiculous that Disney Plus series always are six episodes and they stretch story or compress story based, you know, just trying to make six episodes in some way. Uh, Here, we're not getting that. Daredevil Born Again is going to be an 18 episode series and it is currently scheduled to drop in 2024. Dude, 18 episodes, three times, three times as long as a standard Disney plus show has been so far, I am thrilled that they're giving this sucker some room to breathe and are really doing you know some some daredevil storytelling here rather than trying to rush it on top of that it's been pretty much confirmed that uh, Daredevil will make an appearance in She-Hulk um, and will also of course be uh, appearing in echo as we've noticed noticed previously um, so this is leading up then to uh, his triumphant return in his own series. Uh, I'm super excited for this, Chris. I think this is great news. Charlie Cox's stereotype was absolutely fantastic. And I'm very, very excited to see what they do with with the return here. I'm also very curious to see if we're getting Karen Page back, if we're getting, you know, Foggy Nelson back, if they're going to, you know, get additional people from the original show or if they're kind of, you know, you know tweaking things a little bit as they move forward. Um, I'm just very, very excited to see that we're getting more Daredevil because I'm a big, big fan.
1: You know, it's interesting because last week we talked about, you know, the the side-by-side comparisons of the MCU and the DCEU. And I, th- I think for, I think the, the, one of the integral reasons that the MCU has been so successful is that they know when they've got something special and they don't squander it. And Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock, Daredevil is just one of those like Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man, Chris Evans, Captain America. Like it, it's one of those things. And it's like, you've caught lightning in a bottle and they were patient. And despite spite, like the clamoring, they're like, you know, we were just waiting and waiting and waiting for this. And they did not disappoint. And so they played to those strengths and, an 18 episode season. Like that's just crazy. It's crazy. And so they listen to the criticisms. They listen to the reaction and they don't, it, it's a weird thing because it's not necessarily like a fan servicey type thing and just giving into the wants and demands of fanatics, but like, it's just like so smart that they're doing this. And it just makes all the sense in the world is just like picking the diamonds in the rough, because there was a lot of rough with those Netflix Marvel shows, um, and the clear, the, the the best of the bunch was clearly Charlie Cox, and so and and Vincent D'Onofrio, um, and, and so they're being very very smart about this, and I could not be more excited. I have taken your nerd commendation. I just started uh, the Chip Zdarsky run. It's an absolute masterpiece, and I'm I'm so excited, man.
0: Yeah, I can't wait for more good Daredevil content. Alrighty, folks, that is it for Nerd News. Stick around because after the break, we're going to byword big talk the crap out of Thor Love and Thunder. Alrighty, folks, and we're back. It's time for a little bit of lightning and a little bit of thunder in this week's. So in this week's Big Talk, we are talking Thor Love and Thunder, uh, the highly anticipated fourth Thor movie, believe it or not. We live in a world where Thor has four movies. Imagine that 20 years ago, nobody would have thought this was possible. Um, And we are going to dive in, as always. Uh, Chris and I each have picked three big likes and three big dislikes, and then we're going to follow up with a final verdict. Chris, uh, let's start on a positive note. What is uh, the first thing that you really liked about this movie?
1: Uh, The youth of the nation of Asgard. Um, I I loved everything that was kid-centric about this. Um, Axel uh, was absolutely fantastic. Uh, in that role as being the son of Heimdall. I'm, I, I loved everything about those kids. Probably the most powerful scene in the entire film. Full spoilers going ahead, uh, of course. Uh, the most powerful scene for me was when they enchanted whatever objects the kids could grab. Um, like whether it's a teddy bear or a, a stick or like a piece of metal. And they enchanted him with the magic of Thor Um I thought that was just such a beautiful moment to take down these necro monsters and everything. So I absolutely love that moment. And then the piece de resistance is just like a big old dad, nerdy dad is. And I've always long joked that Thor is my doppelganger. Chris Hemsworth and I share the same birthday. So, I mean, I'm long haired, blonde haired, blue eyed guy. So, but anyways, seeing Thor as a dad to his real life daughter, which I did not even know, but then I, I immediately suspected it when she told him to go to Hell Demon Spawn. I was like, that's got to be his real life daughter. And in fact, it was. And just so, yes, nepotism aside, just seeing them on screen together. I'm super excited to see where the Thor franchise goes from here, because I think that's a a really unique storyline that we don't see a lot in superhero films. Is like having kids involved um, to such a large extent. And I absolutely love that.
0: Yeah, I will say that uh, that was probably one of the most cheer-worthy uh, moments in the movies when he enchanted those objects and gave all the kids the power of Thor. Uh, that that was some cool stuff and, and really um, put probably the biggest smile on my face. Uh, In this whole thing, I really uh, am interested how they're going to pick up on the thread of him, you know, now being a father figure to this girl that he basically has adopted. Um, I think that's that's an interesting direction in taking the character, and it's something that I don't think we've seen a lot of. I don't think we've seen that in the comic books either, as far as I know. So it's a it's a very interesting place to bring him. Um, We've talked a lot about the notion of fatherhood and how that is interesting, uh, you know, as a mesh with superhero stories. And how we're, you know, always a little upset that we never get to go there with like Peter Parker, for example, that that's an interesting setup. Um, or, you know, that they aged up John Kent over DC, and now we don't have, you know, super dad much anymore. Uh, those sorts of decisions, I think, are really questionable. Um, so seeing Thor in a father role would be absolutely fascinating. Um I think that particular thing got me more excited for a potential sequel than it really did much for me in the, in this movie. But uh, the, the sharing of the power scene was very powerful, pun intended, and I really, really enjoyed that.
1: All right, Dave, your first big like is the reason we came to the theaters.
0: You better believe it. I am a huge fan of the Mighty Thor run, of Jane Foster as Thor, uh, the duality of her being so powerful, you know, constantly, you know, being in danger because she's dying from cancer, um, the way the character is portrayed, uh, you know, her, her whole attitude when she, you know, becomes, you know, this this new version of Thor. I love all of that. And seeing that on the big screen was an absolute joy, seeing Natalie Portman back, uh, just proved what an essential ingredient I think that she is to this franchise, and how much she was sorely missing in 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 Ragnarok. I think that uh, Portman is about as important to this franchise as Hemsworth himself, and they would be extremely silly to not try to bring her back again. Uh, you know, we've seen this in the comic books, obviously, where she returns from Valhalla eventually and becomes a, a Valkyrie, the Valkyrie, really. Um, so, you know. I'm I'm all about the Jane Foster Thor. I thought it was extremely well done. Um it's obviously different from the comic books. Uh, you know, they had to tell the story in, in a compressed sense. Um, and I wish there would have been more of her as Thor and even maybe a little bit more of her as Thor on her own without Hemsworth. I think I think a Mighty Thor movie would have been pretty interesting, uh, with just her uh trying to, you know, adjust to this role. But what we got at that was really, really good and and put my butt in the seat at least.
1: Yeah, I, I love, and I almost put this as an overall like, but the advent and the evolution of Mjolnir was so cool. The visualization of where like it separated into different pieces of the shattered Uru and then come back together like a boomerang. That was so awesome to see on screen. Uh, Yeah. So I, I cannot sing the praises enough of Jason Aaron's work on Thor Um, I think it was one of my very first nerd commendations and seeing on social media, like my friends and my mutuals reading it for the first time and experiencing that it just gives, it just like makes my heart swell. And then, you know, seeing it on screen was really, really cool. And it's markedly different, but like, I'm not a person that has to have exact replication in visual medium. If I want that, I'll just go back and read the book. And so I, um, I, I appreciated like seeing it on screen in a very different setting. I thought it was really cool. And I think th- I think the world of Natalie Portman. Um, you know, even back in the prequels where she wasn't given a lot of material, I think for me, I still remember exactly where I was the first time that I saw V for Vendetta and her portrayal in that film was like earth shattering to me. Um one of the most powerful acting performances that I've ever seen and seeing her given some some agency here to to really flex pun intended was really awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll totally agree with that man. Big big Natalie Portman fan here as well. All right. So that brings us to your second like, Chris. What else did you like about the movie?
1: It is no secret to our listeners that I am a god nerd and mythology is just one of those things that always scratches an itch for me. No matter its origin, whether it's Greco-Roman, Mesoamerican, you know, African, I was so blown away by the beauty um, captured here on 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 the Omnipotent City, and just seeing all these different pantheons represented. It, uh, to be honest, I wanted more, but the actual visualization of that, seeing these different deities interact with one another, it was not near enough for my sensibilities i wanted absolutely more but seeing that there it was like the first time in the in the first thor film seeing asgard brought to life for the first time it was really emotional uh black panther when you go into wakanda you go through that shield and you see wakanda for the first time it was that stirring to me i thought it was absolutely majestic and beautiful and i just wanted more
0: yeah i have to say uh like you know there was a lot of talk on social media as always about like special effects and um you know that for example, like you know Jane Thor's helmet being c g rather than an actual helmet, and there was there was a lot of talk about that about how the movie's gonna look bad um and I have to say it looked great, and I think omnipotent City is a perfect example of sort of this this visual splendor that the movie um indulges in now does it mean it's 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 spot on all the time no i think there's you know rough shots here and there but i don't think we can necessarily um fault the movie too much for that given you know some of the uh revelations that we have since gotten about special effects people working on marvel movies and how they're constantly you know under crunch and it's not very well managed and that's why we sometimes get some wonky stuff in these movies um so overall, I have to say, Omnip- Omnipotent City and the whole arrival there and all of that uh, was probably visually sort of the the, the highlight uh, of the movie. And it was very, very cool.
1: Well, that transitions perfectly into your second big like, Dave. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I, I man, the visual design of this movie was really, really interesting. I think uh, Taika Waititi doesn't get enough credit for um, making movies that look very different from the rest of the MCU. Um the, you know the 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 color palette and how bright and in your face the movie is uh combined incredibly well with the soundtrack which let's be honest was really good and probably belongs on a list of likes too um but then you know how how they did things with colors when they're like travel to to face off against gore and gore kicks all of their butts and how it goes into this like black and white mode almost like now there's there's a cool use of 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 color you know to signal um you know, different location and different situation. Uh, so there was some really, really cool stuff visual design-wise. I really liked, um, let's, let's call it the art direction. And although I will agree there were some wonky shots in a movie and some CG that didn't always perfectly land, I think the vision of the movie, the art design of it, uh, was really, really cool and, and unique uh, from the rest of the MCU. And I really liked the, that bright in-your-face color palette that YTD uh, seems to go for every time when he does these. He did this with Ragnarok, some too, and I really, really like that. I think it's 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 very cool and visually interesting.
1: Yeah, I've made no secret that I am a Taika Waititi super fan. I think he he is he is he has named us Taika I'm 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 unapologetically a Taika If that's the case, I I'm a huge fan of all of his works. Um, whether Ragnarok is probably my favorite MCU film. Um, and then you go into something like What We Do in the Shadows is one of my favorite television series. And then um, Our Flag Means Death on HBO Max is is just like this surprise hit, this hidden gem in the HBO Max catalog of, of content, which I mean, Netflix, you better get your stuff together because HBO Max is coming for your throne um, and they don't moan and whine about password sharing um <laughs> and and blame that for the fact that you overspent on crap that you canceled anyway um but that is a common thread in YTD's work these bright like almost neon colors uh particularly in in what we do in the shadows um and then into our flag means death. It's like one of the one of the hallmarks of that sh- that series is the beautiful visuals, and so like I think it lends itself so well to a franchise like Thor, and it's it's very difficult to thread the needle. Like you said, who would have thought that the longest running solo franchise in the MCU would be Thor? I mean, like it's it's so cartoonish and so goofy, and like when you know. D- Over 10 years ago, when we were like, you know, we're going to make a Thor movie, like, oh, let's see how this turns out. I mean, like, look at Norse mythology. It's goofy as crap, man. And then, you know, you travel via a rainbow bridge. A rainbow bridge. That is your main method of transportation. And I think his visual style is a perfect marriage for this franchise, and I absolutely love it
0: all right chris so what is your third big like for the movie
1: i thought it was so smart and hilarious that new asgard is like this tourist trap now like they have like these cruise ship tours they have like a thanos inspired infinity gauntlet ice cream shop like you see king valkyrie like rolling her eyes through like all of these these necessary pr statements and everything so i loved the entire idea surrounded surrounding new Asgard. Very, very indicative of like the Broxton, Oklahoma of it all from the comics. So I thought that was, I actually think that it, it it's much better because it's like Scandinavian in its origin mm-hmm. rather than the middle America flyover state. So I really loved the advent uh, and the zhuzhing up of new Asgard on earth and this new place for all these people and uh I, I i love everything about new asgard and i wish it was real so i could go
0: it almost feels like a pitch for a a part of a, of disneyland or something right you now right like, like we're gonna we're gonna make a little new asgard here and you can go visit yeah um that that's a little commercial slap in the face. I hate when they do stuff like that. But <laughs> I you know, it's it's logical, I think, in the context of the story. I mean, what exactly would you know new Asgard do on Earth? You know, it seems logical that there would be like a touristy element to that, sure. Um I think it worked overall. I think I think that the 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 Thanos ice cream shop may have been a step too far. Um, but I'll talk more about that in the dislikes. I, I don't. I don't think that would really fly. Hey, dude! dude killed uh, half of the universe's population. We we were able to undo it, but you know, maybe maybe let's not name an ice cream shop. <laughs> you know, after this guy, it's like you know having Hitler ice cream on the corner or something. It's a little little weird. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think the touristy stuff was fine. Yeah.
1: All right, Dave. Uh, your third and final like for the film.
0: I think one of the best things this movie does is show that gods kind of suck. Um Zeus in Zeus most, in particular. Like Zeus in particular, but most of them do suck. If you look at the mythology, these are, you know, vain, self-centered characters that make, you know, uh mortals their playthings. I mean, that's sort of the overarching thing for most mythologies. Greco Roman in particular, Norse is not much better. It is just something that is Uh, a part of most of these mythologies they they're self-centered and they kind of suck um and yet most of the time when we get movies you know these the the gods are portrayed as noble and self-sacrificing how often have we seen zeus the wise you know for example um and i think that doesn't come across in the original mythology and the stories that people told about these gods at all even i think the way as guardians were portrayed in previous movies particularly the first one was a little you know shakespearean high and mighty uh and that's not really necessarily accurate to to the mythology so having a movie that is like you know unapologetic like look these ancient gods kind of suck like zeus was a a a very um let's say, horny, self-centered <laughs> individual who only cared about how many women he could seduce, even if it took, you know, turning into a bull or a swan or God knows what else. I was else. just going to say, um, yeah,
1: even if it was humanoid, yeah.
0: Yes, so so the point here is is very simple. Uh, I like that they were willing to go there and say, you know what, these people kind of, these gods kind of suck. Um, that is, that is probably the proper way to portray them rather than these, these wise, powerful Shakespearean individuals, um, and I, I was actually very pleased that, you know, they were willing to go there. I, you know, like like Zeus got mad at, at Thor and says, you're not coming to the orgy. And that sounds like something <laughs> that Zeus would probably say. Uh, that's, that's pretty spot on. So I was very pleased with the portrayal of the gods. I thought it was a, it was a breath of fresh air to go more back to the original mythology and, and kind of poke fun a little bit at how vain and self-centered they are.
1: Yeah, it's inescapable and inevitable, but... Uh... The Snyder bots, as we will now from this point forward refer to them, check last, last week's news story. Um, the Snyder bots were like doing a side by side of Zeus in the Justice League versus Russell Crowe's Zeus, and they were like, "It's no comparison." I was like, "Have have you read mythology? <laughs> have you have you read the Iliad?" Because yeah, this is spot on. Like this is who Zeus was, and. Like I, I made a joke the other day that like the loss of innocence and signs of maturity for X-Men fans is realizing the truth about Charles Xavier. And the same can be said for fans of Norse mythology when you realize the truth about Odin and that Odin, you think Tony Stark creates all the villains in the MCU? Honey, he's got nothing on Odin. Father is an all doucher. Like, yeah, Odin is just as bad as Zeus and they're they're awful. And so seeing that accurate portrayal of deities here, uh, particularly the male deities, like go figure, uh, was, was pitch perfect for me.
0: All right. That brings us to a, a much more fraught situation and that is our dislikes of the movie. So
1: Chris, I'm going to go ahead and let
0: you start. What you got?
1: I think that there was a lot condensed in this film, and it really felt like it needed um, room to breathe. Particularly, it felt like this should be two separate films, and you hinted at this earlier. I think that Jane, even whether you include son or not, should have been its own journey. And I think in particular... Uh, a a perfect adversary for Jane herself, one of the most emotional issues, one of the great feats of the Jane era, Mighty Thor era, uh, is when she defeats the Mangog. So I think that would have been a pitch-perfect thing. And then you separate into gore because there was like enough to whet your appetite with those two different stories, but I don't think it was sufficient. And I think this movie was trying to do too much from a plot perspective and it really should have just been drawn out because we would have been there if they would have said there was two different Thor movies over even, even make it over the next year, like they did with infinity war and end game. I would have been there for it. And I think it would have been much better search for characters and plot and story and character arcs to just have room to breathe. It felt very condensed and compressed.
0: Thank you. Now I don't have to say that. <laughs> uh, you're absolutely right that it felt way too compressed, particularly uh, Mighty Thor's story. Jane was awesome in what we got, but felt like she was getting the short... You know, end of the stick. And I think there are other elements here too, and we'll talk more about that in a moment, that also kind of got the short end of the stick because it was trying to do too many things. And I think that's probably the biggest sin of the movie. It, it's, in some respects, just too much. It's a little too much story. It needed to be, you know, get some room to breathe. It's a little too much of this. It's a little too much of that. It just, it's, it's too much. It, I think it's the problem. You're exactly right. So two separate films, I think, would have probably been vastly superior to what we got.
1: Simultaneously, too much, and yet not enough it's kind of crazy
0: exactly yeah exactly
1: all right dave i'm gonna let you share this first dislike but i am i'm putting on my judgmental face
0: that's okay i can't see your face right now so i can live with that (laughs) um dude this is a complex situation uh you know i actually i actually quite liked the movie but i I didn't think it was like perfect or masterpiece um and i'll freely admit that my wife fell asleep halfway through Um so she calls a Thor sleep and snoring instead of Love and Thunder. Um I didn't think it was boring, but I do think that there was a very obvious problem, and that is that the humor doesn't know when to pull back. Um the movie was trying to be funny oftentimes in situations that really didn't need to be funny. Um and even when the movie was being funny, it it pushed the joke sometimes from, Hey hey, that's really funny to well that's just absurd and it takes you out of the movie. I'll give you some examples Uh, the scene where um, you know they're on the on the boat and you know Jane and and Thor are reconnecting and Thor kind of makes this pitch at her you know that you know they should be together again and then she blurts out that she has cancer and then immediately after that they play it off as a joke like she she said something you know That that ruined the moment and it was kind of like uh, uh, played off as kind of like funny how she was trying to dash away and just kind of let that whole thing sit there. And I think the cancer storyline in particular, and I'll talk more about that later, um, didn't need that. You know, sometimes it's okay to let something just sit there and be emotional. You can have your humor back in the next scene. And not every scene needs to be humorous, even if you're trying to make a comedy, if that makes sense. Um, the other moment that that pulled me out of the movie immediately was a, a Russell Crowe move. As I t- said already, I'm totally on board with his Zeus totally i thought it was funny how he was disinviting you know thor from the orgy i thought the 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 choices made with the character that he was not wise he would not help all of those things perfect choices and then there's that moment where he comes off his little platform and he grabs his toga like it's like a tutu or skirt and kind of goes down the steps took me immediately out of the movie like that that was a move that was telegraphing that it was trying to be funny without actually being funny you know the orgy moment before funny you know uh russell crowe using his toga like a tutu and kind of holding it up which is you know it was so high up there was no need for him to do that it was not like he was holding up a skirt while he's going down the stairs or something it was clearly a telegraphed look. i'm trying to be funny moment and it pushed it just a little too far and those are the things um You know, bonus that I was going to talk about a dislike, but it fits here too, is Korg and his narration. You know, it starts out at the beginning as you know it's kind of clever and funny, and then by the end of the movie, I'm so sick of Korg, it's not even you know funny anymore because he keeps popping up and saying dumb stuff to the point where it's, it's it wears out the joke. At you know having the narration at the beginning and at the end perfect, having to have it throughout, on the other hand, didn't work for me. So did the humor in the movie work for me? Absolutely, I thought there was lots of funny stuff in it, but I think. One of the big problems of the movie is that it didn't know when to say, oh, it's enough, you know, now now we stop this joke, you know, we don't have to make Zeus funnier, you know, with, with the little tutu move, we don't have to take an emotional moment where Jane reveals she has cancer and try to make fun of it. There are places where the humor just kept going too far and it took me out of the movie.
1: Yeah, I think this is one of the growing pains of something that we've talked about extensively is is diversifying the MCU and placing it in the hands of creative directors like Waititi, like Sam Raimi, um, like Chloe Zhao, is they can't help themselves sometimes, um, particularly, I mean, like, look at Korg is taika waititi he literally can't help himself sometimes and so as someone who's a super fan i can call a spade a spade it's it 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 was a bit too much and i think it served as a as a minor detriment to the storytelling of this film um you know and and we can we can expand this into um comic books as well i mean how many times have we said it we love you brian michael bendis but sometimes Bendis can't help himself, you know, um, even even Hickman. I I love Hickman. But that that man cannot help himself when it comes to a graduate level course data page. And so I think this is just Tyco being Taika. Like, he, yeah, it, it, it was a bit too much. Um, and at the same time if i feel if you pivot like like i said previously of making this two separate films those things would have had more room to breathe and we wouldn't have had to go for the joke every single time
0: yeah and i think a lot of this is also just having a really good editor um i'm working on a, a story right now for a comic book anthology that's set for uh next year um I think they're probably going to kickstart it here in a, in a couple of months or something. I have to look at the schedule. Um, but I had I have been so blessed to have an excellent editor on this 10-page story. I've gone through probably four or five revisions at this point, and I'm still filing away some of the rough edges because I have somebody who is willing to say, uh, no, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work. You know, here you went too far, here you didn't go far enough. And I think, you know, I love YTD's work and I think you know diversifying creators that's fantastic but I also think that creators need always a really good editor uh, or producer whatever you want to call it movies but you know in in comics obviously it's an editor to stand there and say no not that one that's not working trust me let's go ahead and pivot here um and I don't think I almost feel like the MCU kind of is going from one extreme to another. Uh, We're, you know, took the, super, words,
1: took the words from my mouth. Yep.
0: Yeah. They, they used to be super micromanaged to the point where, you know, directors left because they didn't feel like they have enough control. And now they're just kind of setting people loose without somebody being willing to say, you know, no. I think the Eternals would have benefited from somebody saying no occasionally. I think there's a really good movie that could have been great. and I, And I think this movie is a good movie that could have been great if somebody would have said occasionally no to Taika Waititi.
1: No, no, no. You took you took the words right from my mouth. The Edgar Wright of it all, which I'm still upset about that. As much as I have enjoyed the Ant-Man movies, like Edgar Wright, like Hot Fuzz is one of, thanks to you, uh, one of the nerd commendations before we had nerd commendations. Uh, Hot Fuzz is one of my all-time favorite comedies. And I think- It's so good. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, you sold me on it. Like if you guys have not seen Hot Fuzz, this is how this man sold this movie to me. He drop kicks an Old Lady. Like, <laughs> it, it's it, got to be seen. It's got to be seen to be. You, believed. I, it's it's so perfect. I love this movie so much. Um, but anyways, so like I just I still feel robbed all these years later that we didn't get Edgar Wright simply because they were over micro. And that's the blessing and the curse of of, of a Kevin Feige. You know, like, you know, I'll take I'll take what's left because it's given us such sustained entertainment and everything. But like, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't sad about it. And so I think this is, like you said, an overcorrection of that. And then like, this is a happy medium uh, or we need a happy medium, excuse me. And and I totally second your thoughts as well about having an editor. You know, when I was, when I was writing for comics bookcase, um, my, my first Ninja Turtles article, I went in with all piss and vinegar and like emotion. And he's like, we need to rearrange some of this. And then when you step back and read the finished product after those, you know, revisions is like, yeah, this is way much better than what I had initially.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Wholeheartedly agreed. So Chris, dislike number two, go.
1: Uh, King Valkyrie, while spectacular, Tessa Thompson just should run the world going forward. Um, I didn't get near enough. Vastly underutilized. Every single scene that she was in, she absolutely stole it. Um, when she kissed the hands of those maidens that were with Zeus, like I got chills. Um, and then, like I said previously, like the PR stuff where she's having to make all these public appearances, um, just the smartest decision that Thor has ever made, uh, in, in placing her in, in this, uh, ruling role of, of new Asgard. And, but I just need more heck. I need, a. Uh, a Disney plus series about new Asgard and Valkyrie. Like I need more of it. And uh, I just feel so cheated in in a way because there was not near enough.
0: I, I will echo that. I think uh, Tessa Thompson is one of many people because the movie is so packed. That was uh, woefully um, misused. I think there should have been a lot more uh, of Valkyrie. A really interesting character uh, in, in Ragnarok has kind of been reduced to sort of a, a sideshow um, I found I found that extremely sad. I thought there could have been definitely more, more Valkyrie in this one.
1: I am hopeful because I saw in an interview when they were asking about Valkyrie, is that her name? Is that an occupational title? She was very coy about that. And it was basically hinted that was something yet to be revealed. So I am hopeful for the future of this character.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, Dave, your second dislike of the film.
0: Okay, so I'm a big fan of of gore. Uh, you actually, upon your nerd co- uh, commendation, I read that whole arc in Thor, and I love that story. And it goes very much hand in hand with what I said about the portrayal of you know the gods. The gods are vain, selfish, and, and you know, gore as you know, Thor discovered when he became unworthy. Gore is right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like these these, these gods kind of suck. Um, and Christian Bale is is flawless in this role. He is so very good. So it's extremely sad to me that so many of the cool things about gore kind of got dropped. And I'm not even talking about the design. I don't care. I think Christian Bale acts his butt off and he works really well as he is in the movie. But, I mean, you call him the god butcher and he kills one god with a sword at the beginning and then we see no more, you know, dead gods. Like it would have been fascinating if, you know... Omnipotent city would have gotten attacked or something, and there is like twenty dead gods laying around or something. Like, I am not saying I, I want a horror movie or a bloodbath, but if you are going to call a a character uh, the God Butcher, there there better be some god killing going on. Like, I never felt a real danger from this person because he killed like one god with a sword, and then he seems pretty ineffectual for most of the rest of the movie. Um, the other thing that bothers me about the character is that we never really get an exploration of that notion. Uh, that gore is right, that gods are, are vain and selfish and, you know, Thor coming to that realization and, you know, that he is trying to be different from the other gods. I think there's an emotional, emotional journey there. I think instead of just having like Thor and his adoptive daughter jumping out of a spaceship to, you know, attack a bunch of things at the end, which was cute and all, it would have been much more interesting to see them like trying to travel around and persuade gods to be better gods or something, you know, some kind of, outcome from the realization that gore's right to a certain extent um i think there was a big wasted opportunity there uh with the character with christian bale's performance which was flawless every time he was on screen um there could have been a real emotional arc and core there that was not realized and i thought that was extremely sad
1: even the introductory scene was not enough for me he goes from being this devout worshiper to immediately killing that God. And like that all gods must die vow was super rushed. And then we get precious little above that And, and like this could be easily tweaked and fixed by adding just a few more scenes. Like we don't even need like big name, notable gods to be killed. We can have some cannon fodder, you know? So yeah, I, I totally agree.
0: Alright Chris, what is your final
1: dislike of the movie? This kind of ties in with that like as much as I loved Omnipotent City, but I hinted at it previously. We were teased with imagery of Bast, for example, the panther goddess, and then we got nothing. Like there it was Zeus and a bunch of extras. Like there was it was nothing. So for a movie that is centered around gods and god butchering, we got precious little when it came to it.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely uh, correct. And I totally agree with your assessment here. Um, I think one of the big things is, is that you're opening up in this movie, the pantheon of, of the gods. I mean, what we had before was just the Norse gods, but now suddenly you've got a impotent city, you've got the Greco-Roman gods, you're opening up this whole world um, and then you do basically nothing with it. Um, and that 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 is a big misstep, I think.
1: All right, Dave. Your final dislike for the film—you've hinted at it before, but let's flesh it out.
0: Yeah, let's flesh it out. Um, this is going to be sound really petty, but you know, be- besides the fact that she—you know—she was getting you know chemo and she had cancer. Did you notice that Jane never lost her hair?
1: Which is wild because she looked great bald in V for Vendetta.
0: Yeah, and and I'm not even saying that they needed to cut her hair. I'm just saying you know bald cap is fine too. I think we didn't get a strong enough sense of the cancer storyline i think it was it was short shifted anyways because the movie had so much going on but i think they didn't milk any kind of drama out of how bad off she was i mean she never even looked particularly sick when she was sick when she's not in mighty thor form you know she drops the hammer and she collapses so she drops the hammer and she she you know bends over in pain but Like we never get a real sense of what's going on with her and having her like lose her hair, like in that sink scene, even, you know, she drops the hammer or everything. She doesn't have the hammer in her hand and she, she, you know, runs her fingers through her hair and her hair comes out, you know, like having her, you know, bald in that last scene uh where where she's in laying in the hospital, you know, with the big turning point where she decides she's gonna stay out of the fight, you know, and then she she comes after all and, and fights. You know, having her really, really look bad in that moment, you know? Uh, Natalie Portman is a beautiful woman, okay? But it's okay for her to be ugly when she's fighting cancer, guys. You know, it's okay to make it visually, you know, sing of how bad off she is, how sick she is. It all seems so superficial they never really wanted to dig deep into what was going on with her. It's just like, okay, she's sick, but she has a hammer and she's being funny when she has her hammer. And every once in a while, she doesn't have her hammer and she like looks sad. Um, And I think the movie had so much potential for drama there that was set aside in favor of, of, of jokiness. And I don't mind the jokes, man. As I said before, I think the humor lands in a lot of places, but it is okay to also be dramatic. And, You know, I wanted Natalie Portman to be able to dig into that part of her role and she never got a real chance to. And I think that's super regrettable, man.
1: Yeah, I think if we divide this up into two separate films, you you can get that fully fleshed out um, arc that we're desperately needing here. And I think even if you just do a couple of more scenes, both with Gore and both with her personal journey and, and all of that and see that versus... Right at the end, we see the the effects of wielding the hammer on her versus a couple more scenes, I think would have been so additive here.
0: Absolutely. So, Chris, final verdict on the movie.
1: Um, So I have my preconceived notions and my bias, but I'm still going to go with like a B plus here. What about you?
0: I can't say that it's a bad movie, man. I just I have to say that some of it left me a little disappointed. Particularly, you know, the, the some of the humor going too far and pulling me out. Um, the fact that a lot of it felt compressed—that we never really got into some philosophical stuff with Gore and and how he's right about these gods. I, I would say it's it's kind of a C for me. It was it was decent enough. It just did not live up to what I was hoping for. When you say Gore the God Butcher, when you say, you know, the mighty Thor Jane Foster, there are certain things that you're expecting. And, I, you know, the movie is good, but I will say, and maybe this is my fault, but it did not meet my hopes and expectations for a movie when you say the mighty Thor, when you say Gore the God Butcher. There was something lacking. Um I still think the world of Taika Waititi and I still, you know, like his, his version of Thor. I just don't think that everything in this movie landed the way it could have,
1: you know, and we, we said this before, but now kind of explicitly Jason Aaron wrote Thor for nearly a decade and compressing that entire, you know, run and two of its major arcs into one film is just not.
0: That is exactly right. Um, yeah, I, I think that sums it up perfectly, Chris. Alrighty, folks, there you have it. How did you feel about Thor Love and Dunder? Is it a hit for you or did it make you snore like my wife? Uh, hit us up on social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter at nerdbyword, individually at thatnerddave and at thatnerdchris. We would love to hear your thoughts on the matter. Uh, stick around because we are getting ready to wrap up our episode with some nerd commendations. All right, ladies and gentlemen, nerds, it's time for the final segment of the Nerd Byword, where we recommend some new nerdy media to you. We call it...
1: Nerd All
0: right, Chris, what are you nerd commending this week?
1: Well, I recently upgraded to an Xbox Series S, and the first big game purchase that I made was the WWE 2K22, um, which... It's been made no secret how much of a debacle 2K20 was. Um, It was the worst elements of the dogma surrounding professional wrestling and the WWE fandom uh, and their branding of how goofy and how self-inflating it can be. Um, so they took some time they delayed releases and everything and did some major retooling and I'm, I'm very pleasantly surprised to see just the vast improvements that this game is um, it's much more in depth there's hours upon hours of content different game modes there's a my GM mode there's a my universe mode where it's essentially like a season mode you can play as a particular superstar or you can have complete creative control and build all your own matches, all your own shows, everything. The My Rise, which is basically your created wrestler and their progression from, uh, you know, the training in the underground scene and then, you know, graduating to the big name shows, is much more in depth and a much better storyline. Of course, it's still cheesy and cheesecakey and corny. But like, that's kind of like the the wink-wink the of professional wrestling at its core. So I, I'm really, really enjoying that part. Um, the retooled combat, uh, fighting techniques is really, really great. Um, so I'm really having a great time playing this game. And I'm glad that I spent my hard-earned money on this. And WWE 2K 2022 is a strong, resounding nerd commendation for me.
0: I want a new good wrestling game so bad, yeah. but I have certain expectations because, you know, I'm I came up in the uh the era of, you know, N64's No Mercy and WrestleMania 2000 and some of the PlayStation 2 stuff. Uh and the thing that always seems to be missing for me in these new wrestling games is something very simple. It is the ability to create your own wrestler and then actually play season mode with your created wrestler. And I miss that so much, man. It was it was always the highlight. Uh, of every single uh you know game that I played in that era is that I could create my own wrestler I could customize his moveset then I could go in and I could I could play through the season you know there were random Im- events that would happen random team ups people running out you know it was, felt like a real you know season of of wrestling and they have kind of narrowed that down to say okay you're going to play these seasons with these preordained superstars you know, my, my many of these games don't have create a wrestler anymore. Does this one have create a wrestler?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That's the entire my rise thing is centered around your created wrestler. It's yeah, so probably the the strength of the game, in my opinion.
0: So so that's been missing in so many of these games. So if you're telling me that I can create my own wrestler and take him into like a storyline, then I'm interested in playing this game because that was the fun part for me always. You know, tweaking my created wrestler, coming up with an outfit, picking the entrance music, customizing the moveset, and then going with my own wrestler and playing a, a season. That was the stuff. Um, so if that if that kind of thing is possible in this game, then I'm totally going to give it a shot.
1: Yeah, and it's something, it's something that we've critiqued uh, about professional wrestling is... Like how quick the rivalries, quote unquote, have become. But like, that's actually a breath of fresh air in this regard is because, for example, right now in this preordained storyline, my character has been targeted by Seth Rollins. And it's like an ongoing thing that is lasting eight to ten different matches. And it's like a really long thing that is days and days of real playing time uh, that is playing out. So it's really, really refreshing.
0: See, now I'm interested. And this is the first time in years that I've been interested in a WWE game because they have been a poop show for a long time.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right, Dave, what is your nerd commendation for this week?
0: Well, you know, we always say that uh, our show is as much for the nerdy nerds as it is for the new nerds. And there is something that I wanted to talk about that most extremely nerdy nerds probably know about and, and probably have checked out at one point. Uh, and that is a series from DC Comics for mature readers from the 1980s, launched in 1986. It is The Question. The Question, uh, by written by Dennis O'Neill, without art, uh, art by Dennis Cowan. Uh, this series is something extremely special, dude, and the entire series is on DC Universe Infinite. Here we have the story of Vic Sage, a reporter in Hub City. Uh, which is as bad, if not worse than Gotham city for pure corruption. Um, and everybody just kind of being sucky people living there. And he, uh, you know, puts on a face mask that makes it look like he has no facial features, uh, uses a special gas that adheres it and changes the color of his hair and his clothes. And he goes out there and fights crime and tries to uncover corruption. Um, the question, the question is a a fantastic character. Um, and this is probably the, the the best series that the characters ever had. It is extremely dark. It's extremely mature. Uh, there's some really messed up stuff that happens here. Um, but And it is very much of its time. It's very much a product of the 1980s uh, and that sort of um, vertigo style, mature wave of storytelling that was taking place at the time. Um, but all, saying all that, it is so complex and so well-written and Vic Sage is such an interesting character. Um, I, I absolutely love this show, uh, this, this, this series. The thing is also that the art is very much in that like 1980s mature vibe. So it looks really, really cool, even by modern standards. It's very unique and um, distinctive. That the the whole series is absolutely a stunner. So if you were interested in learning more about the question as a character over DC Comics, then I would say that, you know, the question from 1986 is definitely the place to start ran for about 36 issues, I believe. And and it is absolutely complex, interesting, and a masterpiece in its own right.
1: You know, it, it, it's crazy to think, but it's been two years already since we lost Denny O'Neill. And, and, you know, at that time, I was almost exclusively a Marvel consumer. And so his contributions to Marvel were not as significant by any stretch of the imagination as they were at DC. And now, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm reading a good deal more DC content. And he is one of the creators at DC that I'm looking forward to diving into the most.
0: Uh, dude, read it, man. Uh, it's 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 complex. It's mature. It's not without its faults. It's very much a product of its time, but I would say for for the time it came out of, dude, this is this is just a banger of a series. All righty, folks. There you have it. That's it for another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. If you like what you just heard, get on your favorite podcasting platform, drop us a rating, a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. We drop new episodes every Tuesday and are available wherever podcasts can be found
1: and give us a shout on social media on Twitter and Instagram at nerdbyword, by word individually that nerd Dave and that nerd Chris also be sure to check out the link tree link in our social media bios to interact with us via our discord server. Give us your own nerd commendations, comment on episodes, what you'd like to see in future episodes, all the scuttlebutt coming out from San Diego comic-con and as always, stay well and stay nerdy.
0: The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture.
1: The podcast
0: features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available.